of the seven to whom letters are written here in the book of Revelation that had nothing bad said about it, given to it. Philadelphia and Smyrna earlier, the second church. We read about Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, and we begin with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it, for you have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Look, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Look, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my patience, or endurance, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come on all the world to test them that live upon the earth. Look, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, that no man takes your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have in our country, of course, a city called Philadelphia. But here's one way back in what was then no longer had become uh, Turkey, but it was under Roman domination. It's in the western part of what is now Turkey. It was founded in 140 BC by a man that was named Attalus II, but he was also known as Philadelphus. And so after he, the founder was the city named. Now, there had been people living in that area beforehand, but he's the one credited of founding the city of Philadelphia. It was a very important location where it was founded. Three different countries came together at that point. Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia. So it was a border town and it was a very important situation. Now it was founded very much to be a missionary city of Hellenism. 
Now, you probably know what Hellenism is. It's the Greek way, the Greek language, the Greek customs. Alexander the Great, of course, wanted to establish Hellenism in the places he conquered, and he was very successful in doing so. Well, this was some years later, of course, but here Philadelphus also wanted to establish Hellenism, especially in the regions beyond, up in the wilds of Phrygia, where there were a lot of Galatians, Gauls. So it was a missionary city, a missionary city for Hellenism to teach people the Greek way. Now, Philadelphia itself was not all that totally Greek as perhaps it could have become. And many of the Phrygians did not want to accept that, but generally speaking, it worked quite well. In Philadelphia, in that area, there are often earthquakes. We've talked about that before, haven't we? Especially in the year 17 AD, under Tiberius Caesar, there was a great earthquake. Others of the cities were destroyed, as we pointed out. It happened to Philadelphia as well. The Emperor Tiberius then came and helped, as it were, financially to help rebuild that city along with other cities. They were so grateful for what he had done, they even adopted a new name for Philadelphia, Neo-Caesarea. That name did not really persist, but that showed their gratitude to the emperor for helping them getting reestablished again. They lived, and it was situated close to a plain, a volcanic plain. And so it was a plain that was nourished with volcanic ash, where they lived right next to it, right close to it. This was of significance financially. For one thing, they had hot springs there, and people would come and pay to be able to bathe in the medicinal waters of the hot spring. So that was a financial incentive for Philadelphia. But being a volcanic area, you probably know that that made it very fertile. We have good apple growing areas up in the Cascades and volcanic areas, do we not? And so with them too, this was a very, very fertile area. But they concentrated on, guess what? Grapes, many vineyards, very profitable financially. Grapes, of course, make wine. And guess who their primary deity that they worshiped was? Who's the Greek god of wine, <laughs> of the grape? Dionysus. And in the worship of Dionysus, of course, there was very much revelry and orgies and things like that. That fit in quite well with what the people wanted. Dionysus was not the only so-called god that they worshiped. In fact, they had many temples and many gods, so much so that Philadelphia was called sometimes Little Athens 
You remember when Paul was in Athens, he saw all these idols and his heart was moved. He wanted people to leave those things and come to the true God. So sometimes Philadelphia was referred to little Athens. It had so many gods and so many idols. One of the things they would do in Philadelphia, if they had someone that was outstanding that helped the city financially and in other ways, or priests who were outstanding for these false gods in the temples and what have you, they had an interesting custom. They'd erect a new pillar in one of the temples and they'd write on the pillar the name of that person that was so being honored. Interesting custom that they had. Now what's really interesting is how a lot of these things I've just said about Philadelphia tie into the message that's given to Philadelphia. So let's look again at the scripture here. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Written to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these things says he who is holy. God is holy, and we sing about that, don't we? He who is true. You see, he is genuine. He's not false. Sometimes I may ask my wife about flowers in our house. Are they real? Of course, they're real, but uh, what I mean is genuine. Are they really flowers, or are they just fakes? Well, you see, Jesus is not a fake. He's real. He's genuine. He's that kind of true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no man shuts, and who shuts and no man opens. Now, if you want to check it out, that's actually referring back to a statement in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. There was a person who was in charge of the palace of the king, the king's house, and he had the key, as it were, to that. And people would go through him many times if they wanted access to the palace and to the king. But also, as we go back to chapter 1, we find in verse 18 these words. I am he who lives and was dead, and look, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and of death. <laughs> Those were greater keys than the king's palace. But Jesus has that, the key to Hades, the key to death itself. He is indeed all-powerful. He's true. He's holy. And he has those keys. Nobody can shut, nobody can open, except Jesus allows. Then he talks about them. He has only good things to say about them, as with Smyrna as well. And by the way, both those cities, even today, have an abundance of Christians still living there. It's pretty amazing that these two commended churches, these good churches that were faithful and were not rebuked in any way, that they still have a sizable Christian group, people, population, in each of these two cities. I know your works. He knew their works. He knows our works. 
Are we serving the Lord? Are we living for him? Look, I've set before you an open door. Uh, remember, this was a door to Hellenism, a door to missionary work to spread the Greek way. But what kind of a door does he set before the church and before us? An open door for Christ, an open door of evangelism. The fields are ready and white to harvest, John 4, 35. And we find too in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, about praying concerning an open door for the gospel. And so we are challenged, as well as the people of Philadelphia who knew the Lord, to share Jesus with our neighbors and our friends and to head out to the regions, as it were, beyond. Set before you an open door. Remember, nobody can shut, nobody can open. Jesus has the authority and the power. By the way, speaking of the power, I was interested in the beginning of one of the songs we sang. It mentioned 100 billion galaxies. Scientists believe there are at least 100 billion galaxies. Our Milky Way is just one of the 100 billion. Talk about power. Imagine God creating and sustaining 100 at least billion galaxies. You have a little strength and you have kept my word. Good things to be said about them. Hopefully good things when Christ sees our church and our life that he can say such favorable things. And you have not denied my name. So to keep God's word and not deny Christ's name, to acknowledge him is a commendable thing. We're meeting here. We acknowledge him, do we not? Do we keep his word? We are trying, aren't we? May he bless us as we continue to serve him. By the way, what happened with our car yesterday, I think both of us, we were amazed at the things that happened. And again, we're able to be here safely today. And we thank God for the thing concerning the car. Verse 9. Behold, I will make them from the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, but they are not, but do lie. Look, I'll make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Quite a promise, is it not? If you look up Philippians 2, verse 10, you'll see that before him every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Even our enemies will have to admit they were wrong and that he is God and Lord indeed. Those who don't like us, those who fight Christianity, and I see more and more and more of this happening in our country and I think throughout the world. It's harder to be a Christian. Christians are put down as uneducated, uninformed, prejudiced people. And yet we know the opposite is true. 
we're informed about the things of God. We know who flung the stars into space. We know who keeps things going. We know the way of deliverance, the one who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. We know to trust in him, to live for him, to let him help us in our daily lives, as June and I believed we were helped yesterday especially. And again, that we might be here without any big problem today. And so our enemies, whoever they may be, ultimately will have to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. What a comforting thought that is. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my patience or my endurance, again, commendation, something very good they have done, something we hope we are doing day by day. I will also keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come on all them, all the world, to test them who live upon the earth. An hour of temptation. That indicates a beginning and an ending. Doesn't necessarily mean one hour, but a period of time. Remember, Jesus said, my hour is not yet come, and then finally his hour had come not literally an hour, but a period of time. So he warns them ahead of time that there's going to be a time of testing, but that he'll be with them. He's not going to abandon them. Is this true with us? Yes, if we believe in Jesus, it's true with us. And one of the greatest promises in all the scripture, I believe, I will never leave you or forsake you. In John 10, too, he says, we're in his hand. And then he says, too, about the Father's hand. (laughs) So God is protecting his people. He keeps us. He will be with us forever, even in a time of great difficulty, the hour of temptation. Verse 11 has a very, very important statement, statement which many people ridicule today a statement which even many professing Christians don't really believe. Yet it is true, because God promised it. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. It's at that point some people especially balk. They say, well, a couple thousand years have gone by. Where is he? He hasn't come. Not going to come. As I pointed out before, one day is like a thousand years to God. (laughs) It's like a couple days. So what? Makes no difference. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it at his time. And for him, it's like quickly. And for us, we don't know when. So we need to be ready at all times. We should love his appearing. We should anticipate it. We should live in the light of his promised coming. I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. You have Jesus, don't you? You have trust in Jesus. Don't let loose of that. (laughs) Hang on to it. His promises are certain and true. He is the light. He will forgive, he will help, he will be with us in everyday life in every way as we look to him. 
Hold fast what you have that no one takes your crown. As you probably know, people would have crowns when they won athletic contests. They ran to win. They didn't have second, third prizes. You had one prize. That was the winner. Okay, we're in a race to win, aren't we? Don't let anybody snatch that crown away from you, the crown of victory. And then it talks about him who overcomes and who listens. And some wonderful, wonderful things are promised. The one that overcomes, he says, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. What did I say about pillars earlier? People that were outstanding priests, people that were outstanding civic benefactors, they would make a pillar. They'd erect a pillar in a temple and they'd write their name on it. So you see how God shows that as a beautiful illustration for the Christian. Not only a crown, but the pillar and the name written upon it. But the, not the temple of mythological Greek gods, but the temple of the true and living God. I think, too, how the apostles are involved with the church and are part of the temple that is the church. Last part of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Then it goes on. Not only will I do that, I will all, he shall go no more out. Okay, you remember what I mentioned about the earthquakes? <clears throat> what the people would do when the earthquakes would come is they'd hurry up and get out of the city. They didn't want to be crushed with something falling in the house or whatever. So it was a rather common thing with many earthquakes where the people would leave the city and flee in outside the city. And then when everything calmed down with aftershocks and everything, and we know about earthquakes, don't we, even like last week, then they would come back. So they would go out, they'd come back. And this happened a lot of times. So you see how the Lord makes use of that about not having to go out anymore. You'll be in a place of stability and safety. He shall go no more out. And I'll write upon him the name of my God. Ah, oh, what a great thing to have written on you God's name. And the name of the city, my God, which is New Jerusalem. God's city upon you as well. It comes down from heaven, from my God. <clears throat> and you can read more about it in the last two chapters of the book. And I will write upon him my new name. Oh, that's interesting. One of the other letters, remember, it talks about a name and only the person receiving it knows it. Well, here it talks about his new name. Perhaps it has to do like the coinage, the making of coins by different rulers. They would often have their image and perhaps their name stamp upon the coin. Honors them and perhaps a thing of ownership, as it were. So upon Christians are placed God's name. We belong to him. We are to be his servants. We are to live for him. We're to let him do his miracles in our lives day by day.
And so it ends like that. I will write upon him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if we have a spiritual ear, it says, let's listen. <laughs> let's listen what the Lord himself says, what God's Spirit, what Jesus says to the churches, not just the church in Philadelphia, but to the other six, and I believe through the ages, to each and to every one of us. May we hear the word of commendation, especially at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. These are great promises, are they not? And we need to live in the light of his coming and of these glorious promises. May we have a prayer of dedication. Lord, help us to indeed be dedicated to you, to every day. Know it's a day that should be committed to Jesus, a day in which we have opportunity, even a door of opportunity to let his light shine through us. Thank you that you set before us an open door. We would commit ourselves, Lord, anew and afresh to you. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for your great power. Thank you for the validity, the truth of your promises. And that you are holy and true. May we live in the light of these things to bring glory and honor to you always. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen.